Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Welcome to Upper Room. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's good to be with you today. If you're in junior high, you are dismissed. You can uh, make your way on out. And I want to just, you know, reiterate kind of what Kate said and just say welcome to the beginning of Global Week, a really exciting time in the life of our church where we get to focus in on some of the exciting things that God has enabled us to be partnered in around the world. And so throughout the week, there's going to be some different activities that are going on uh, throughout this morning's service. Actually, you're going to get some updates on what's happening. And then what's really exciting today is that we can go uh, upstairs up into the top of the spaceship kind of place. And that's where we're going to have our 30-minute market. And some of the businesses are, are very exciting. One of them is actually going to help me shed some weight because there's a group of junior high boys, evidently, who have a bounty on my beard. And if they can get a thousand bucks, then I will shave my beard. There are clippers right there. We've got a mirror. It's going to be a disaster. Um, it's going to be all over the place. But anyways, I don't know if I'm going to like find keys I lost or some change is going to fall out of that. Who knows what's going to happen? But anyways, uh, that's really exciting. There's all sorts of other really good things. Of course, you should uh, make your way up there. You know, um, we're living in a, in a day where um, there's this idea that seems to be around in culture, which is that we are supposed to be accepting of all people. We are supposed to love all people. We should reach out and make friends of all people, right? We're encouraged to see the value in all people, to look around and ensure that we have a good ratio of friends who have different colored skin tones, maybe a little bit of an accent. We should go and eat foods from different cultures. We're encouraged to be tourists of the world, to learn about cultures and places that are maybe not so familiar to all of us. These are, these are some of the values that we have. We have this idea that we are to love one another and just seek peace. And I actually love that this is, I mean, there's a number of things that our culture is saying, but this is one of the things that I absolutely love. The reason for that is because it's not a new idea. If we even go back just 150 years, there's a man named A.B. Simpson who was a pastor in New York City. And while he was serving in New York City, he was at this prestigious church, a significant church. And while he was there, there was this influx of immigrants that were coming in from all over the world into New York City. And he was looking at them and saying, wow, there's such an incredible need for these people to, like, they need help. They, they need food, they need jobs, they need to have safe places for their family to come in. They've come on an incredible journey, they need this help. But because he was a, a follower of Jesus, he also said, and, and they need Jesus. So they need help and they need Jesus. Now, one of the interesting things that happened, are two things actually, one of these things is that he received a lot of criticism. And people in his church said, hey, hey, this is a big prestigious church. This is not a place for these newcomers. This is a pl- you come, you preach the gospel to us, the well-to-do people. And he eventually had enough of that where he said, I don't want anything, to, I mean, I, I'm gonna follow God's call to care for these people, to to give them help and to give them Jesus. And so as they were coming, as his ministry was expanding, he began to wonder about, I mean, if they're coming here with these great needs, I wonder what the need is in the places that they're coming from. So he was looking now across the globe where these people were coming from. I wonder what their need is. Of course, they need help and they need Jesus. And this wonderment actually functioned as the catalyst, the launch pad for A.B. Simpson to begin networking with a number of churches and a number of missionaries to begin the work of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which is the Christian evangelical denomination that our church is associated with. So we can actually look to this and say that part of our DNA as a church at Upper Room is that we want to be people who reach people by helping them and giving them Jesus because we know that's what their needs are. And and A.B. Simpson, is quoted for saying a bunch of brilliant things, but one thing he said is the alliance, so the Christian Missionary Alliance, the alliance of these workers, stands particularly for the great work of world evangelization. 
the great work of bringing the message of Jesus to the corners of the earth, the far ends of the earth. And one of the amazing things we have in Toronto is that it seems like all the corners of the earth are coming here in the greater Toronto area. But that doesn't mean we don't go out to these places and we've got this amazing opportunity for us to follow Jesus. And what's so great about this is that it wasn't actually Simpson's idea either. It actually goes back a lot further than 150 years to 2,000 years when Jesus was having his last words with his disciples before he ascended in a cloud and went up to sit at the right hand of the Father. So if you've got a Bible and you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read a few verses for you there. Acts chapter 1, verse 3 to 11. After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to the disciples and gave many convincing proof, proofs that he was alive. i just pause for a second. He's talking to them after he's been dead and they're still looking for proof that he's alive. Just a thought. It says, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set out by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. We are a part of this movement that Jesus launched just before his ascension. He was really launching it throughout his earthly ministry. But one thing we've got to think about is that if you are in this room and you are a follower of Jesus, the reason that you came to know about who Jesus is, that he is the way, the truth, the life, the reason that you even had the opportunity to have your life transformed by his incredible power is because somebody took Jesus' words here seriously enough and they were a witness. They testified. They told about the good things that Jesus has done, about the good person that he is, that he is the son of God, that he is this remarkable person unlike any other. They took seriously the command of Jesus and told you about him. And for 2,000 years, people have been going to the ends of the earth all over the world to do what? To proclaim the good news of Jesus and the kingdom, which is people need help and they need Jesus. And as we do the work of establishing the kingdom of God here on earth, we are going to follow this call and join into this line. And so if for some reason you've had this thought, well, you know, there are certain people who it's their call to be missionaries, they're called to be uh, international workers. They're called to be uh, pastors. They're called to do uh, street outreach. They're called to do all these things. And then the rest of us, we just kind of wait around and figure out what it is we're going to do. No, actually, the truth is, if that's what you believe, that certain people are called to do the work of spreading the gospel, helping people by, meeting them, by giving them help and giving them Jesus, if you think it's just some people's job, then you are just wrong. That's not correct. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, then that means that the command that he gave to his disciples in scripture is actually the command that he's giving to us as we live out our life today. Which means we probably need to spend a minute here just understanding what it is Jesus is actually saying. And so, 
as I've mentioned, these are Jesus' final words before his ascension into heaven, okay? So he had spent three years ministering, doing miracles, healing people, resurrecting people from the dead, all of these amazing things to the point where he himself is crucified, he's nailed to a cross, he's dead, and he goes behind a big rock, and the disciples and everyone else, they're feeling this hopelessness, this darkness. We thought he was the savior of the world, but now he's dead. But then on the third day, he rises again, comes back to life, and then he spends 40 days giving proofs that it's actually him. There was all these theories that, well, maybe they just hid the body or maybe it wasn't really him. He just went away for a while and somebody else was crucified. And this whole hoax, that's what they thought it was. But Jesus goes around and does 40 days worth of ministry proving that he actually is the same person that was dead, but now he's alive again. And so they're sitting and they're having a meal. Jesus has this habit, as we read through the, the eyewitness accounts in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he has this habit of, of saying the most profound things in the midst of the most plain and mundane daily situations. Jesus had spent three years with his disciples, and they had probably eaten multiple times a day together. And so there they are, they're eating, and what does he say? Wait in Jerusalem for a few days until you experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? He says, wait, the Holy Spirit will come. He will give you power. And this is something that he had told them about before. He might not have said it explicitly like that, but what he says is, guys, a day is coming when the Father in heaven is going to give you a gift, someone who will be with you always, and he will be an even greater help to you as you go and do the work of the kingdom than I have been when I'm with you. Imagine hearing the disciple, like being a disciple hearing this. You'd seen him walk on water, heal the sick, raise people from the dead, bread everywhere, right? Jesus is doing this, and then he says, no, the, person, the one that's coming, the Holy Spirit, will be even more help to you. But the disciples have this interesting response. Jesus said, in a few days, this will happen. And so they say, wait, Jesus, are you saying that when this happens, in a few days, that's when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel back to God? So you got to think, the Jews, the nation of Israel, they had this idea, they had, they're, 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 their whole race, their whole belief system, everything was rooted on this promise that God had given them for generations saying, I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send a savior and he is going to uh, save the world from their sins. And he is going to free people from prison and he is going to, um, he's going to feed the hungry and he's going to reach out to those who are lost and he's going to heal the sick. And they had this idea that the one who would come, this Messiah would be this great political leader that he would be this, this leadership powerhouse, perhaps a military leader. Think about the, the prophecy in Isaiah chapter nine, which says the entire government will be on his shoulders. And so what they're saying when Jesus says that this is all gonna get rolling in a few days, the disciples are probably thinking, okay, Jesus had a habit of going away for a few days up a mountain, he'd go pray, he'd go on these little trips. Maybe Jesus, this is it. Like he's gonna go up, he's gonna pray, he's gonna do some push-ups, he's gonna listen to that Rocky theme song, he's gonna come down, it's showtime, baby. He's gonna start doing what he said he was finally gonna do. They're excited about this. And he comes and he says, guys, what? We've, talked, we've been here before. I've told you about this. It is not for you to know what the Father has set out for the time of my return. And then he says, you've, you're missing the point altogether. The point is not when am I going to come back and do that? Am I going to come back? Yes, and I'll get to that in a minute. It's not when am I going to come back and do all the work, but it's how are you going to get involved in doing the work right now? Jesus had said, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you. You're going to receive power. This is going to be something that will be an unmistakable experience. You won't confuse this with anything else. And you will go and you will be my witnesses. And so he's saying, this is going to come. Hang around in Jerusalem, your hometown, where you are. And when that happens, you receive this power. Then you go and you begin to tell the world that they need help, that they need Jesus. And you are the, going to be the ones who supernaturally go and do that work. And so while you're anticipating my return, Go and do the work now. And where does he tell them to go? 
He says, you're to go to a couple of places and you're going to do what I did. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to feed the hungry. You're going to have compassion on the widow. You are going to testify. You are going to preach. And here's where he says you should do this. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. When he refers to Jerusalem, he's talking about the place where you already are, right? He said, wait in Jerusalem. Wait here for a few days. This is where you are. This is where your kinsmen are. This is where your family is. This is where your friends are. This is where you know people. This is where you're going to begin testifying, giving witness, talking about who I am, doing this work. Then he expands it a little bit and he goes to Judea and he says, Judea is a little bit outside. We know where that is. We've been there before. We're familiar with that. Okay, you want us to take this a little bit further. But then Jesus says, Samaria. And there's a whole lot of learning we can do about the Samaritan people and how they were culturally, ethnically, religiously completely at odds with, with the Jews, with the people of God. And it's as if they would have viewed, the Jews would have been talking about Samaritans. Well, you're like this half-breed, mixed-up group of pagan worship. We don't, even, you know, we don't want anything to do with you. They would have viewed them as enemies, right? You can think of that story where they would cross the road to avoid the person who needed help, right? That idea of we don't want anything to do with them. And so when they're saying, when they're hearing this, it's almost like Jesus is saying, even the people that you hate and hate you, you're even going to go and you're going to be a witness to them. And you're going to love them and you're going to heal them and you're going to give them the good news of the gospel and their lives are going to be transformed. And then he drops this ends of the earth bomb. <laughs> the, the Bible has this habit, writers in the Bible have this habit of using like a, and, and they'll say, and other people. <laughs> and anything else. And they have these catch-all statements. And so we could view this and say, okay, this is a catch-all statement where God is saying, yeah, you just go about wherever. Jesus says, rather, you're going to go about wherever you go. And I think what he's getting at here is something more than just geography. He's actually getting at vision. Because if we think about it this way, Jesus had traveled only about 100 miles in his whole life from the place of his birth. So when he starts talking about to the ends of the earth, the disciples probably being in a similar crew to that or similar experience to that, they're saying anything more than 101 miles away is the ends of the earth. Places we've never heard of, places we've never been, places where kingdoms are never... And the ends of the earth gives this idea like they wouldn't have even had a clue what was taking place on the other side of the globe, let alone a couple hundred miles from where they are. So Jesus is talking about geography. Wait here. Then you begin to branch out and move out and move out and move out. But I think there's something more to this where Jesus is saying that because of the power that the Holy Spirit gives you, because my kingdom that you are going to begin establishing and that I'm going to come and set up finally one day, as this thing goes, it is going to take over the entire world. It is going to go absolutely everywhere. There will be no corner of the earth that does not hear the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Everywhere. And so church, upper room, this is not just about the disciples. This is not just about A.B. Simpson. This is not just about missionaries and pastors. This is about every single one of us who says that we follow Jesus. This is the call that he has on our life. That we are to go, we are to help people, we are to give them Jesus, we are to give them help, and we do this without discrimination. We'll hear about some work that our church is partnering with in the Middle East where we might say, well, we don't even know what to do with Islam. It's such a confusing religion and maybe we haven't explored it, but it gets sensationalized on the news and all these kinds of things. But, but are, are they like modern day Samaritans? I don't know. Maybe there's somebody else in your life that's difficult you feel you're at odds with and yet our call is to go even to them to be witnesses. And as we do this, we, we, we help them. We meet their felt needs and we get by word and deed the things that we do and the things that we say. We say that all of this, our ultimate motivation is Jesus. This is why we do it so we can see life transformation. And so Jesus says all this, and, um, and then he ascends into heaven. He goes up into heaven right in front of them. And there's a cloud that blocks them. And they're standing there like this. Long enough, apparently, for angels, two angels dressed in white, come and they say, what are you guys still doing here? Why are you still standing here? Like, he said he'd be back in a few days. I was not expecting that, <laughs> right? It seems like that's a longer trip. <laughs> and they say, what are you doing standing here? He gave you instructions. He told you what you're supposed to do. 
He said you're supposed to get busy with the work at hand. You're supposed to begin establishing the kingdom. You go about restoring this. Why are you still waiting here in church? How many of us are still standing around, staring up at the clouds, just waiting for the day that Jesus would come back and start restoring everything back to the way it's supposed to be, back to wholeness? It's almost as if Scripture is saying, why are you still standing here? And so I've used this word restore a couple of times. Jesus used the word restore. The disciples used the word restore. When we talk about this idea of restoration, the idea is putting things back to completeness, back to the way that they were, back to shalom, true peace, completion, absolutely perfect, the way they were meant to be, absolute peace. And a day will come when Jesus will return to earth. The angel said that he's going to come back the same way he went, which means he's going to come back to earth in bodily form because you saw him go in bodily form. When he comes, he will begin to establish his kingdom once and for all, finalizing that thing. And he says, at that time, every wrong will be made right. There will be no more injustice. There will be no more hungry people. There will be no, be, there will be no more enemies. Uh, there will be no more death or decay. Every tear will be wiped away. And it's like Jesus is saying, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna do this work. But while you're waiting for me to come back, start doing the work. I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna restore it. But while you're waiting for me, you go and get busy with the work of restoring the earth, put it back. And so our call as followers of Jesus is to look at our world, to look at the person beside us or the person on the other side of the world and say that they need help and they need Jesus and we're gonna do what we can right now to put an end to injustice. We're gonna seek uh, mercy for the world right now. We're gonna have compassion on the, on, on the hurting, on the sick, on the widow, on all these people now. We're going to love our enemies when? Now. We're not waiting for him to come back and do all that work. He's given us the spirit of God and that enables us to actually go and begin doing that work right now. And so this is the call of God on every single one of us who follows Jesus. To rely on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to go to all nations, to see that people need help, to give them that help and to give them Jesus, the ultimate help and watch how the world gets transformed. The call of the gospel to do this restorative work, the call of Jesus to do this restorative work is to seek the salvation and transformation of souls and to seek the salvation, redemption, the, the, the restoration of cities, of countries, of, world, of the entire world. It's all of this in together. And one of the great things about Global Week, I mean, this is in our DNA. We spend a week focusing on it, but this is stuff that's happening all the time. But one of the great things about today is that we get to celebrate some of the ways that our church is directly involved in this work right now. And so we're going to hear a couple of stories. I'm going to invite Tony to come on up, and he's actually going to share about a, a really awesome story that's taken place in the life of our church. And then Kate will come and, and share some stuff as well. So thanks. Thanks. 